Hi everyone, and welcome back to episode 3 of On the Coattails, a special limited series by the Crimopedia podcast. If you've been keeping up with episode 1 and episode 2, you'll know that we are following the story of Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie as they embarked on their cross-country adventure in the United States in the summer of 2021. As we all know, whether or not you've listened to those episodes, their story ended in Gabby's tragic death and Brian Laundrie cowardly hiding out in the Carlton Reserve in Florida. However, what you may not know is that during the search for Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie, and during the investigation, there were seven cases involving eight people who had their stories cracked wide open because of the frenzy that surrounded Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie. Now, if you haven't listened to episode one, I would highly suggest you start there because then you'll get the background information necessary in order to understand what we're really talking about. In addition, I also wanted to make note of something that was brought to my attention after I published episode 1. In the promotional material on my Instagram for episode 1 of On the Coattails, I used a photograph of what was the supposed journal entry that Brian's remains were found with in the Carlton Reserve. From my understanding from my research, we definitely know that Brian Laundrie had a rainproof field-like backpack that he took with him on all of his hiking adventures, and he had that with him in the Carlton Reserve. In addition, we also know for a fact that he had a rainproof notebook, one that he was writing diary entries in, and it's been a huge point of interest for a lot of people who were invested in their case. On January 21st of 2022, FBI Denver provided a final investigative update into Gabby Petito's case, where they say that there is really no other person of interest who they can conclusively link to her death besides Brian Laundrie. A lot of people think that has to do with evidence found in the notebook, some sort of admission of guilt, or something to indicate that he was responsible and that they can rule out any other scenario happening. However, I received a lot of backlash for posting that notebook because apparently a lot of people thought it was fake, and frankly, it put some reasonable doubt in my mind whether or not it was real. I found that photo of the notebook just like anybody else would. I googled it. However, when I do my research, I definitely am checking my sources. And if you didn't know this about me, I am a science student. Checking your sources is a big, big deal for me in my undergraduate degree. There was an abundance of news articles that reported on this notebook. However, notably, it wasn't included in the FBI special report. Additionally, there was also a Reddit thread that I found where people were speculating that either this notebook was completely fake and someone had just made it up for media attention, which does happen in a lot of true crime cases, or that it was real, but it was not supposed to be leaked to the public, and instead it was accidentally leaked by someone who was formerly a part of law enforcement. Now, although Reddit can be kind of a questionable source, I thought that the amount of people and the evidence they had dug up was substantial enough to, again, induce some reasonable doubt in my mind. And therefore, the backlash, I think, was warranted. However, when I quoted this journal entry in my initial episode of On the Coattails, I had done so on the basis that other news articles had done the exact same thing. And I thought, if this many reputable news sources have not been yet reprimanded for false information, then I likely should be somewhere on the safe side, right? 
However, I acknowledge that this is not actually tangible evidence that I can confirm really exists, and I realize that now. Despite this piece of information that may or may not be real, I think we do all know that Brian Laundrie was responsible for Gabby Petito's death. I want to thank everyone who pointed out to me that this letter may or may not be real, and for holding me accountable for making sure that everything I publish is legitimate. I didn't start this crime podcast with ill intentions, wanting to spread fake news or anything like that. I started it from good intentions, and as someone who is a very busy student, I would not have kept up with this podcast if I didn't love it and didn't want to do some good with it. Now that we've covered sort of the formalities going into this episode, let me give you a little rundown of what we'll be talking about today. So far, if you've been keeping up with On the Coattails, I have taken you to Utah, to Alabama, and to Wyoming, where three cases involving four people were, again, cracked wide open, either directly due to the search for Gabby Vitito and Brian Laundrie, or in the case of Kylan Schult and Crystal Turner, it was because they just so happened to be in the same area as Gabby and Brian at the same time, and Kylan may have actually witnessed Gabby and Brian arguing at the Moonflower Co-op in Moab, Utah, where she worked, and as we know, this altercation ended up spiraling into Gabby and Brian being pulled over on the side of a Moab freeway, and I'm sure at this point, we all know of the body cam footage that exists from that incident. Today, we're following the story to a few different places. First, we'll be heading to the border of Tennessee and North Carolina in the United States along the Appalachian Trail. Then, I'll be talking about a case that was discovered in Colorado. And then, we'll conclude in California. So with that, I think it's a good time to jump right in to episode 3 of On the Coattails, October's Curse. been listening to episode 1 and 2, you'll know that the search for Brian Laundrie began approximately one week after Gabby Petito's remains were found in the Grand Teton National Forest of Wyoming. There was a discrepancy between the time that Brian's family knew that he was heading out to the Carlton Reserve and the time that his family decided to disclose that information to law enforcement. And so, as stated in previous episodes, police knew that Brian could be anywhere. In early October 2021, after again Gabby's remains had been found, the search for Brian Laundrie had been well underway for approximately a week and a half. International media, frankly, was blowing up, and the story would only become more massive from here. The world was shocked when Gabby's remains were found, and now people across the globe were focusing on where the hell Brian Laundrie could be. Along with various competent police agencies, journalists and people on the internet were digging into the depths of every single piece of evidence that had thus far been released, trying to figure out where he could possibly be. But because we had no idea at this point, police were following all tips that they got. 
There ended up being several witnesses who would come forward and say that they believed Brian was walking along the Appalachian Trail and hiking in the mountains near the North Carolina and Tennessee border. This idea wasn't so far out of the ordinary. Aside from the fact that people knew Brian could be anywhere, a lot of people were hypothesizing that Brian was likely camping outdoors, trying to stay as far away from the public as possible. This was something he was totally used to. He was always camping, always outdoors, always barefoot, always doing everything he could to stay outside, and he was well-versed in nature and knew how to survive. So when these tips came in, they seemed pretty viable. One witness looked up photos of Brian after he saw someone who he thought could have been him. A potential new lead in the search for Gabby Petito's boyfriend, Brian Laundrie. Hiker Dennis Davis telling Fox News he was hiking early Saturday morning along the Appalachian Trail in North Carolina when a man driving a white Ford F-150 pickup truck stopped him and asked for direction. After the encounter, Davis says he looked up photos of Laundrie and says there's no doubt in his mind that the man he saw was the wanted fugitive. I'm absolutely 100% sure that was the guy. My heart was thumping. And I, I mean, I immediately, I immediately called the FBI back and I said, listen, I just called you guys, but I'm telling you, this was the guy. As we now know, that actually wasn't Brian. And it's likely that Brian spent the entire time he was evading police in the Carlton Reserve. However, police had a due diligence to go and follow up on these tips. On October 9th, police stumbled across the body of 33-year-old Josue Calderon instead of Brian Laundrie, along the Blue Ridge Parkway near the Appalachian Trail below the Yadkin Valley Overlook. Josue Calderon was from Rhode Island, New York, and it was a total mystery to everyone once he was discovered as to why he was in North Carolina, a mystery his family is still trying to understand, let alone the fact that he was found murdered. If it hadn't been for the witnesses calling in about Brian, Josue might not have ever been found, at least not in time to be able to identify him so promptly, let alone to see the damage done to his body. Josue was very clearly the victim of a brutal homicide, as he had been repeatedly stabbed to death. In January of 2022, the FBI came out with a statement saying that Josue had been seen traveling with two other men in a 2018 silver Chevy Equinox with Florida license plates, and that's likely how he got all the way from Rhode Island to California. And it's likely he made this trip on October 6th or October 7th. But why? Family members of Josue said that he didn't have a car himself and had no idea who the people were that drove him all the way to North Carolina, let alone why he would be so desperate to go and not tell anyone. Police have been continuously asking for witnesses and tips, but what makes this case especially strange to me is that the spot where Josue was found along the Blue Ridge Parkway near the Appalachian Trail below the Yadkin Valley Overlook was a very popular tourist spot where people gathered daily to watch the sunrise. Because of this, it's kind of hard to tell exactly when Josue arrived at the Appalachian Trail. If he was in the car on the way sometime between October 6th and October 7th, and he was found on October 9th, was he there laying deceased the entire time? Was he kept at a secondary location? Again, it's hard to say. I'm sure police might know these details 
or are investigating these details, but if they do, it's all information that the general public, I'm pretty sure including Josue's own family, is not privy to. Even weirder about this whole situation is that there's a lot of confusion online whether or not anyone in Josue's family actually filed a missing persons report when he actually went missing. This confuses me because given the response from his family after his body was discovered, it really seemed like he was a loving father, a brother, a friend, and a son. He was a valuable member of the family. And so, I think it would be really easy to clear this up. However, I can't find any information because this case is not very highly publicized. All the articles that talk about Josue Calderon and his disappearance and subsequent death never neglect to mention how his case relates to Brian Laundrie. The latest information I have on Josue, other than the FBI statement regarding the car he was seen in, was that in November of 2021, approximately one month after Josue was found deceased, two men in his life were charged with an unrelated homicide in Rhode Island that occurred in September. These two men are Juan Rivera and Julio Castro, and apparently Castro and Josue were very, very close friends. Even in Josue Calderon's obituary, Julio is even referred to as quote-unquote like a brother. People speculate that it could have been these two men, Juan Rivera and Julio Castro, who were driving Josue down to North Carolina, and therefore both Rivera and Castro are being looked at for involvement in Josue's death, but I don't have any information about what has come out of that investigation, if anything at all. Josue's family deserves closure. I can't imagine one day waking up to find out that your father, your brother, your loved one has been found murdered and was lying in a ravine over 800 miles away from home. Like I mentioned, the FBI is asking that anyone with information please go ahead and call and let them know what you know. So if you do know anything, you can call the FBI in Charlotte at 704-672-6100. Alternatively, you can also call the National Park Service tip line where Josue was found at one 888 6530009 The next case I'm going to be telling you about is a little bit shorter and that's because information about this case is extremely limited. Unless you go out searching on your own for the victim's own social medias, you can't really find any information about her. On July 8th of 2021, when Gabby and Brian had just begun to embark on their cross-country journey, they had arrived in old Colorado City. It's confirmed that the couple were there because they were seen at a pizzeria. As well, there are several photos of Gabby on her personal Instagram where she is pictured in different parts of Colorado, in the desert, in the mountains, looking like she's having a great time. A few weeks before Gabby and Brian arrived in Colorado, 55-year-old Sarah Bayard was last seen on June 28th, 2021, and was then reported missing a few days later on July 4th. Sarah Bayard had been last seen driving out of a gas station in the city of Parker, driving her blue 2001 Buick Park Ave sedan. It's not really clear where she was going after leaving the gas station. Again, information on her case is extremely limited. But a few months after Gabby and Brian were seen in Colorado, and a few weeks before Brian Laundrie's remains would eventually be discovered in the Carlton Reserve, on October 9th, Sarah was found deceased off of Highway 83 in Douglas County, Colorado. 
Sarah's remains were mostly skeletonized, which stalled the investigation into the cause and manner of her death, so much that even to this day, as of March of 2022, nothing has been announced in her case. The Douglas County Coroner's Office has still yet to rule on a cause and manner of death for Sarah, which doesn't really surprise me because skeletonized remains can be a lot harder to analyze than the remains including soft tissue. However, I haven't seen any movement on this case, and I really wish I would. The latest updates I can find are still back from October. Thankfully though, the thing with skeletonized remains is that teeth usually remain intact unless they've been scattered, so that's how she was able to be successfully identified very quickly. However, it also brings up another point of contention for me about identifying missing people via dental records. I have to wonder if the police in Mobile, Alabama, who discovered that homeless man while looking for Brian Laundrie, I talked about this in episode two, had even thought about trying this, or maybe not because he was homeless, but that doesn't mean that he didn't have a life beforehand. The reason that Sarah's case is connected to Gabby's is because where Sarah was found was somewhat near where Gabby and Brian had shared an Instagram photo from during their travels. Police weren't necessarily searching for Gabby or Brian when they found Sarah, but as suspicions grew towards Brian as their case progressed, people wondered if he might have been responsible for Sarah's death. Let me preface this by saying this is just a theory. And regardless if this is true or not, it's very important that Sarah's information gets distributed because again, stuff about her online is very limited, despite her case being somewhat amplified by Gabby and Brian. People thought that Brian could have been responsible because like Kylan Schult and Crystal Turner, it's possible that Gabby and Brian were arguing a lot in Colorado. Clearly, their altercations were escalating quite quickly, given that Gabby was found deceased only a few months after they had left Colorado and not too long after they had left Moab. People thought that Brian could have been retaliating against anyone who possibly saw him abusing Gabby. This theory isn't substantiated in any of the documents I was able to find regarding Sarah's case. However, with such little information available, I guess technically nothing is off the table. I have a lot of questions in Sarah's case. Frankly, I would like to know where Sarah was headed on the day she went missing. I would like to know who reported her missing and why it took a little bit more time than I would wait before reporting someone I love missing. I would also like to know approximately how long Sarah had been deceased for considering she was found skeletonized. I want to know what happened to Sarah's car. Has it ever been found? More importantly, I really want to know what police know in this situation, if anything at all. If you know anything about the case of Sarah Bayard or are able to answer any of the questions I just asked about her case, you're encouraged to call the El Paso County Sheriff's Office at 719-520-6666. Big or small, in cases like these where absolutely nothing is known about what happened, any information can be extremely valuable. Unfortunately, that's all that I have about Sarah. I did go looking on her social media sites. I found that she was a nurse for 21 years. She was devoted to her faith and her family. Looked like she had lots of friends. <laughs> she liked to take selfies. She was a good, wholesome woman. And it seems so random that something like this would happen to her. The last case I have for you today in episode three of On the Coattails is that of Lauren Cho. I'm taking you now to the state of California where 30-year-old Lauren Cho from Flemington, New Jersey disappeared from Yucca Valley 
after she was last seen on June 28, 2021. Gabby and Brian never directly visited California together during this specific trip. However, Lauren's case garnered a substantial amount of media attention because her friends and family continued to post her missing persons case on social media while using the hashtags Gabby Petito, Brian Laundry, Find Gabby, Missing Gabby. Despite this media attention, Lauren's case is still unsolved, but we'll get to that. Lauren Cho had just quit her job in New Jersey as a high school music teacher over the winter of 2020 and joined who some sources call her ex-boyfriend, others just call him a friend, Cody Orell, on a cross-country van trip with the intention of heading to Bombay, California. If you're thinking to yourself that this sounds a lot like what Gabby and Brian had done, you'd be correct. And that's why a lot of people have drawn parallels in these two cases and have made more than one connection. Lauren's friends and family say that she was very much looking forward to moving to the West Coast and living more of a creative life. If you see photos of Lauren, which I'll post some on my Instagram and my website at crimopediapod.ca, you can definitely get the creative vibe from her. She's got some tattoos, wears fun clothes, and has spacers in her earlobes. She was reportedly a very bright spirit, really fun to be around, and definitely one who was suited for the West Coast. Cody and Lauren did exactly what they planned to do and embarked on a cross-country van life journey. By June of 2021, Lauren was working as a private chef at an Airbnb property owned by someone named Tao Rospoli, located between Yucca and Morongo Valley, outside of Joshua Tree. Lauren's main goal, according to some sources, was one day to start her own food truck, and she was well on her way to doing that. Just like Gabby, Lauren was incredibly creative, driven, very ambitious, and definitely knew how to achieve goals that she set her mind to, on top of being incredibly charismatic. However, unfortunately, they both met similar fates, but one case has a resolution and one doesn't. Lauren Cho walked away from the Airbnb she was working at at the 8600 block of Brenmar Trail, according to the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department on June 28th of 2021. Lauren was last seen with Cody Orell, and both of them had apparently been drinking alcohol pretty early in the day. According to Cody, the two had allegedly gotten into an argument about something, as I guess exes do, if that's what they are. Lauren ended up walking away from the argument and just kept walking, according to Cody. She left without food, water, or her cell phone around 3 p.m. Approximately two hours later, around 5.13 p.m., Cody then called the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Office for additional help after gathering some of their own friends to search for Lauren. Unfortunately, due to their own makeshift search, Lauren's steps couldn't really be traced, and law enforcement was only able to track where the friends had been searching. According to Cody, he thinks this might be evidence that Lauren got into a car somewhere, although I'm not entirely sure why, and frankly, I'm not entirely sure if he's even been fully investigated, despite being the last person to see Lauren alive. He would go on to make statements that Lauren said she was walking away and was going to meet with someone, but didn't say who. And his response when asked why he didn't inquire about who this person was, was quote, of course now I wish. Personally, I don't know if I'm willing to accept this story, but 
evidently police did, and they were convinced that Lauren was voluntarily missing given his recount of events, plus the lack of evidence pointing towards any sort of foul play. On the same day as both Josue Calderon and Sarah Bayer's remains were found, Lauren Cho's remains were also found in the open California desert and were later identified positively as her. Again, like Sarah Bayard, the sheriff's department said that, quote, the cause and manner of death is pending toxicology results, and no further information will be released on this case until such time those results are available, end quote. However, that statement was made back in October when she was found, like Sarah, and there is no possible way that I can fathom that as of March 25th, 2022, when I am recording this episode, that those results are not back. Now, the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Office could also be withholding this information. It could be that they're waiting to implicate someone in her death. It could be because they aren't back yet and haven't prioritized her case. It could be due to a backlog. It could be because they're actively investigating someone. However, like I said, the police determined that Lauren was voluntarily missing. So it's not even clear if they've changed their minds and determined it was a homicide. Consequently, it's not clear if they would even be bothering to investigate anyone, even though personally, I think they should. Many people, myself included, offer some criticism to the police department for saying that this was a voluntary case of a missing person who turned up dead. I think this is premature. However, also, that determination is based off of the little information I do know about Lauren's case, because again, the intimate details of it were not as highly publicized as that of Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie. I'm sure if her story was that highly publicized, some answers might be prioritized by now. If you're interested in Lauren Cho's story, there's a couple of really interesting threads on Reddit, and I recommend you check out r slash find Lauren Cho. I know that I did say previously that Reddit can at times be somewhat of an unreliable source, but it seems like a lot of what happens on that subreddit has less to do with conspiracy theories and more to do with analyzing information that is available to help solve Lauren's case, given the absence of law enforcement's attempts to do so. Many people agreed that it's pretty infuriating that police chalked her disappearance up to a voluntary one, when right from the beginning of my research, I was not convinced of the story of Cody Orell, the ex-boyfriend. However, given the intense media surrounding Gabby, people who did know about Lauren's case were, like I said, boosting it on social media because they were initially comparing the two stories. And like I mentioned as well, they are, on the surface, somewhat similar, considering the whole cross-country van thing with a partner or ex-partner. Lauren's own family would eventually reply to these theories on Facebook and remind the public that their cases are very different and that likely Brian Laundrie had nothing to do with Lauren's disappearance and subsequent death. But in a Twitter post that I saw that received over 30,000 retweets by the time I looked at it, someone said, quote, let's get the same energy going to help locate hashtag Lauren Cho as we did for hashtag Gabby Petito. Another user wrote that it took riding the coattails of another missing white woman to even get people out there looking for Lauren and identifying her remains. Without the attention that Gabby's case brought to Lauren's, it would be hard to say if anyone would have even put effort into looking for her besides her family because the police made such a premature decision. And that is earth-shattering to me. Lauren was well-loved. She was a talented baker, apparently also a piercing apprentice on top of being a chef. She had a nickname, Elle. She had so many friends and so many loved ones. 
but now that Brian Laundrie's cowardly suicide and refusal to take accountability for what he had done effectively closed the case of Gabby Petito, attention to Lauren's case also closed. But her case isn't over. If you know anything about Lauren Cho, you maybe saw her that day, or know anything about the area she was in, you can call Detective Edward Hernandez or Sergeant Justin Giles in the Specialized Investigations Division at 909-387-3589. I think it would be helpful to trace her last steps more closely, especially given we don't know what happened to her, and I don't think Cody's story is as credible as police make it out to be. Through all of these cases, they all have a few things in common. Firstly, being tied to Brian Laundrie and Gabby Petito in one way or another, but also that most of them are unsolved. The only case that actually has a resolution to it, besides Gabby's herself, is that of Robert Lowry. If you listen to episode 2, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But these people were people. Sarah Bayard, like I said, was an ICU nurse in a pandemic, working hard to make everybody safe. Josue Calderon had friends that were just like his family. To me, my friends are my family. And Lauren Cho was such a kindred spirit who was not afraid to chase after her dreams, no matter how far across the country they were. And I have to admire that about her, just like I admire all of these people and hope more than anything that they get justice. Thank you for listening to episode 3 of On the Coattails by the Chromopedia podcast. I'll see you here tomorrow on March 31st, 2022 for episode 4. But until then, I'll talk to you soon. plus people asking where's Gabby.